Hey, good, good afternoon, everybody. We're live. We're live again. And not only are we live, but we're in person right here with this guy here, Scott. Right. Scott finally, T. Wilson. Finally in the same place at the same time after months. Yes. I think our first one or two episodes we did in person, and then uh, we went to virtual because it was just easier with our schedules. But it's Sunday evening, Sunday evening, afternoon, something like that. We're here for episode 23 of Culture Goes Pop. I'm Stevie Stroh, and you are? Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson. And what we're going to talk about today, Scott, this was your idea again, another good idea. Well, we're going to talk about Disney Plus and just Disney in general and the embarrassment of riches they've given us through their streaming service. We're going to be asking the question, is it too much? Is this too much of a good thing? Has Disney become, as a a friend of mine put it, who also shares my name, Scott, a Walmart of geekdom? A Walmart of geekdom. Interesting phrase. So the first question is, is too much, or are they giving us too much? And is too much, too much? Um, pick a t- pick an example, Marvel or Star Wars. We're getting a lot of both of those right now, right? Right. Um, something you talked about, I think, last week when we were talking about the scary movies and back in the day. And you mentioned, like, Jaws was in the theater for years or for, like, you know, but there was a time when a movie was in a theater for a long time. Star Wars could have been in the theater for, like, a year or more, things like that. Um, I think a lot of things attribute that. Number one, um, competition in the marketplace. There weren't a lot of big blockbuster movies to dethrone something, a blockbuster like uh, Star Wars or Jaws or something like that. There wasn't as much home video. There wasn't as much, uh, well, there was nothing streaming. You know, cable TV in the 70s wasn't even doing the reruns of movies. So there, we, we weren't, we weren't, oversaturated in the 70s and the 80s, even in the 90s, right? So um, now we're at a time where we've got theater, we've got streaming, we've got broadcast, we've got cable, we've got so much content. Um, and, and even, you know, three years ago before Disney Plus, we had a situation where the Marvel movies, if you were lucky, a big Marvel movie came out once a year, maybe once every other year. And that was a decent enough pace. So that brings us to your question. So I'm just, I just, when you brought up this topic, it made me think of what you said last week about how movies used to be in the theater for a long time. Yes. Well, that was the standard operating procedure back in the 70s when the blockbuster was born, depending on how successful a movie was. And also, movies did not open day and date everywhere the way they do now. It was Jaws that made that a thing. But before that, a movie was had a, what was called a slow rollout where it would open in certain key markets to see how it did and then it would slowly expand. It didn't really, a movie didn't necessarily open everywhere all at once at the same day and time. And it, I think Jaws, I'm not sure which other films, but were the first ones to sort of start that as a thing. And also, like I said last week, and I'll elaborate on that now, when a movie was mega successful, like in the case of Star Wars, Star Wars was in the theater. I think it was technically in the theater all the way up until Return of the Jedi came out. Because what you had in some <laughs> cases, yeah. What you I had, don't remember that. but well, uh, What you had in some cases were, you know, you remember the second run theaters they would have, like the dollar theaters? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, the dollar, yeah, the dollar theater, yeah. yeah they, I they, worked at one. Yeah. yeah, they had those things. And that was usually when the movie had finished its initial run. And then right. we go to the second, right. the secondhand theaters. Right, right. And but those theaters kept movies in circulation for just a very, very long time. Right. This was before home video. This was, I think, cable start. Did cable start in the seventies? Or I can't. Yes. Uh, yeah. Late seventies, early eighties. Honestly, it's all blur at this point. But right. yeah, yeah. It, it, I was in middle school when we had cable. Right. Definitely in high school. So definitely 80s, maybe late 70s, but definitely 80s. Right. We had cable. Yeah. But what happened was, I mean, things just stayed in circulation longer because you didn't have any other options to see it. If you missed a movie in the theaters, you had to wait until it showed on network television. So if you didn't see it in, on the big screen, that was kind of it. But cable, home video, these things opened up all other options for what they call ancillary markets. 
ways for you to watch movies at home and watch mm. them uncut, watch them as they were shown in the actual theater. You didn't really have that so much before, like we said, the 80s. Right. Now you have so many options to watch movies. And I mean, the funny thing, you have so many options to watch them now that almost none of those options include actually owning them. That's how many options you have. Right, right. You know, you matter of fact, I, there was six months ago, I packed up all my plastic movies, everything I had on disc in a box. They're in the attic. And as we started doing this show, and we're starting to talk about all these movies, I'm like, man, I need to buy this box set and I need to buy that box set. So now I'm buying more right. movies that I bought. Um, but yeah, we've kind of transitioned to not having the tangible movies. It's all, it's all digital, right? So everything we do, it's, it's in our stream queue. It's in our library, right? And, and modern technology in terms of the internet, in terms of smartphones, portable media devices, in terms of streaming, in terms of downloading, digital downloads and things like that. Everything is direct to consumer. And also these corporations are able to produce a lot more, a lot faster. And they actually have a fan base to feed. They have a monster to feed. They have a fan base. Right. We've created a generation of entitled fans right. that just have quality content just raining from the sky. And one of the things uh, that I, not that I'm sorry to be dominating this, but this is just okay. something that's on my mind. That's why I kind of brought the topic up. I'm starting to miss a time where you were able to sit with and digest these things for a minute instead of constantly taking in downloading content that's what it feels like now when you saw the original star wars and at, at that time you didn't know that the empire strikes back was coming out but you got three years right to, to digest it to obsess over it to go over every detail you knew exactly how you felt about it by the time empire came out same thing for empire the same thing for to show you how long ago that time was when the when the sequels to rocky came out if you remember each rocky movie began with a recap of what happened in the last one. Hmm. That because home video wasn't that much of a thing yet. Right. Home video was the first, VHS was the first thing to change that, where you could watch something over and over and over. So by the time the sequel came out, you didn't need a recap. You just were able to jump right in because it was fresh in your mind. You may have watched it just, watched it just before you watched the sequel in the theater. So, but now where we are is you don't really get time to sit with these things at all. You don't get time to really let them wash through your mind. Nothing gets a chance to resonate anymore. And that's kind of how a lot of classics were built, is things got a chance to resonate with you. Right. You had time for it to seek in, to kind of marinate into your yeah. into your consciousness and the fandomness of it. Yeah, because I remember when Star Wars came out, yeah, there definitely wasn't um, there wasn't a home video version of Star Wars um, in, in for, for many years. There were some comic books. There were some magazines. Um, every now and then you would see something on broadcast television. You would see something like, uh, I love watching the making of Star Wars, the special yes. effects of Star Wars, things like that. So we got little tiny nuggets of stuff to kind of string us along. Magazines and comic books kind of kept us going. Um, books. I actually had the book. Um, on the art of Star Wars, all yes. the like black and white drawings, like in the Ralph McQuarrie stuff and all those like concept art that was used for the film. So there was a lot of that that we could consume to continue to kind of build our appreciation for a big movie like a Star Wars back then. And again, there would be years before we'd see a sequel. Um, right. And so now we live in a time where basically Disney owns everything that you and I grew up with. Yes. Right. So Disney owns Marvel. Disney owns Lucas, which is Star Wars and all kinds of other stuff. Obviously, Disney and Disney bought Pixar, and you know Disney owns ABC. So, um, so they own television, they own movies, they bought up, they bought up Fox. So that, you know, so Disney is just is buying a lot of stuff. Now, one thing that I will say, I did like, and this this used to run from my mind for a long time, but before streaming just became epically huge, there was a lot of money to market a movie. Yes. And you spent all that money, you watched all the commercials, and some people are the, are the people that are like, all right, I'm going to um, see the movie the day it comes out in the theater. And I'm kind of that way with a big movie, a big franchise like a Star Wars or a Marvel. I want to see it in the theater. I want to see it when it's fresh while the buzz is still there. And there are other people that will say like, well, you know what, eh, I want to see it, but I don't want to see it that bad, so I'll wait for it to come out on home video and I'll buy it. 
right? And if you got a family and you're trying to bring your whole family to the movies, it can be expensive. You buy it on DVD or Blu-ray, you buy it for 20, 30 bucks, you own it for life. So some people would say, I'll just buy the movie. I always wondered, why didn't they do uh, a simultaneous release of theater and home video? I understand financially maybe some reasons why. Like, we want to capture the box office. We want to get as much money in to recoup well, all the money. Cannibalize each, the releases yeah. can cannibalize each other. Right. But, but on the one hand, I was thinking it would make so much sense. You wouldn't have to market this movie twice. Because what you market it when it's in the theaters. Six months later, you market it again. When it's in home video and you have to hope that somebody still wants to see it because now you've had six months time for people to poop all over the movie who didn't like it. If you if you could have said, all right, you know what? I don't want to you know pay 25 bucks just for me to see it in a theater with popcorn. I'm going to buy the video and we'll, we'll watch it at home. Um, I always wondered why they didn't do that. Now, COVID changed that. And that's one of the reasons why I actually got HBO Max because HBO Max was doing same day. Movies, big movies, like the new Mortal Kombat movie and the new Dune movie and the Wonder Woman and all these and, things. And Warner Brothers actually got taken right. to court over quite a few of those. Um, so, you know, they, they did that. And that's that, for me, was a selling point to get HBO Max. Because, like, oh, man, I can watch these movies. The King Kong versus Godzilla, all these big tentpole movies. I'm like, man, I want to watch these at home. And I can see them while they're new. So I'm, I'm part of the buzz while everybody was buzzing on a new movie. So I really liked that idea. Um, and there was some controversy over doing that with Black Widow, too, because was, that was supposed to be in the theaters and they streamed that. But, but we live in a time now, and the topic of this show, to not get too far off the rails, is that Disney's giving us a lot of content now, in the, specifically in the world of Marvel and in the world of Star Wars. A lot of live streaming series. Not everybody's a fan of all of them. So what are the thoughts on this amount of content? And so obviously you've got some thoughts on this, Scott. So what are your thoughts on this quantity of content that we're receiving? Well, my knee-jerk reaction is that it's too much, although to be honest, I'm kind of torn on it. Because on the one hand, I do like the idea that instead of coming out with one Marvel show per year or every few years, you come out with, say, five or six over a two-year period... And it gives the viewers an option, you know, because it's, I was never one of those guys that read every Marvel title. And if, in fact, it's funny because what Marvel has basically done, they've Disney Plus has become is becoming the streaming equivalent of a comic book store, like where you go in there and all the titles are on the wall. And, you know, I've never been one of those guys that reads every title. I know right. a lot of guys who do. Their, their pull box will be packed to the brim every month. Um, one second. So you don't hear the, hear the buzz. My box or their box will be filled every month with like 30, 40 titles. And I never understood that because as much as I love Marvel, I don't love every title. Right. So streaming... And who's has, got time to read right. all that, right? Streaming has become the equivalent of that. Right. I have so many yeah. things in my on my watch list on every streaming network that I will probably never get around to watching, right? So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a first world problem, right? Um, how do you... So, do you feel the... With the amount of quantity that we're receiving let's just start with marvel and then we'll switch over to star wars with marvel do you feel the quantity of marvel um is diluting the quality of the marvel cinematic to degree, universe to, to a degree to be honest i do because the more you put out and especially when you're putting out in mass quantities or uh, you know it's for lack of a better metaphor it's like a drug dealer who's shipping in cocaine by the metric ton say hello to my little friend (laughs) right it's like we're you know but when it's the when it's like the movie business or you know a studio or corporation it's just i know kevin feige is is notorious for maintaining a lot of quality control when it came in when it came to the mcu in terms of the movies you know he developed sort of a house style for marvel um but now it's almost as if there's too much. And I feel like I can see it sometimes where there's so much of this stuff out there that they don't, they can't keep as tight, as close an eye on it as they 
normally would. Now, I could be completely wrong. I'm just a fan. I don't know right, how right. things work on from the inside. Where is it? I want to give a shout out to Justin Jordan, the comic book creator, because he actually had a post the other day on Facebook that showed how as much as people keep complaining about the CGI with She-Hulk, he showed sort of a comparison, two comparison photos side by side of sort of She-Hulk running like before and after, before the special effects were added and after. And then you realize, okay, we may not be happy with the special effects, but it took a lot to do what they did. That's not easy what they're doing. Right, right. So, but I just kind of feel like it's just, as, you know, long story short, as I enjoyed Obi-Wan and the book of Boba Fett to varying degrees. I'm not as hard on them as most people are, even though both those shows had glaring problems. But I just kind of look at the whole thing, especially looking at Andor, which I think is slower paced, but a much more rewarding watch. Yes. Than Boba Fett. I would agree with you. My yeah. wife doesn't agree with yeah. you, but I, well, I, it's not, I, I'm of the same mind of that. I do like to slow yeah. burn on that. Well, the thing is, it's the Andor, and I hate to sound elitist when I say this, Andor is like a real show. It's like some people say it's like a BBC spy show. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's more of a drama and it's a, Absolutely. Heist, it's a heist movie. It's also, you know, it's a spy movie. And I'm three episodes behind, so I'm saying that not having seen the full run-up until yeah. this point. Everybody dies. I hope not. Please. <laughs> Please. Well, yeah, yeah. And, um, in, in Rogue One. Rogue One everybody yeah. dies. Everybody's dead. <laughs> but, I mean, and it's like, that's the kind of Star Wars show that a lot of fans have been asking for. And that, that leads me to another point about sort of this oversaturation. Even... I think it's a mistake now because one of the things that like Disney is attempting to do, and I think a lot of these studios are attempting to do, is to give fans what we've always asked for. And and Disney now, with this streaming service, has the opportunity to try to be all things to all aspects of fandom. And I've always been, not always been, but as an adult, I'm of the belief that just as a man who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. Uh, to all these studios out there in Disney, you you are listening to the fool in this case if you try to listen to fans tell you what we want. We don't always know what we want until we see it. We didn't know we wanted Star Wars right, until we saw right. it. Right, right. So the perfect example of that is like when Steve Jobs ran Apple. Apple was the company that... We didn't know we wanted something until they released a product. And then it's like, oh, my God, I've got to have this thing. I didn't know I needed an iPhone. I didn't know I needed an iPad. I didn't know I needed an, an, uh, the iPod before the iPhones, right? right? Um, so they developed things that we didn't know we needed. And once they were there, we're like, oh, my God, how did we live without this, right? And also, I just want to say hi to Barry Nelson, if you're still out there. Barry um, commented on our Black Adam episode and gave us some feedback. We did air your feedback on last week's episode, Barry. So thanks, thanks for that feedback on Black. Yeah, thank you, Barry. Um, yeah. So shout out to, to Zach Grills again. I haven't forgot you. I'm going to get with you, and we're going to bring you on here somehow. Yes. Although the in person might be more difficult, but the right. but the virtual we could definitely do. And what was I just talking about before I said hi to Barry? No. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> what were you just talking about? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember what I was just talking about, and that's okay. We'll, we'll move on. Right. Um, but we were talking about Andor and the slow burn and the spy story, and uh, you don't know where it ends. I said everybody dies. But, right. Um, no, but when, so, let, so when, um, when Rogue One came out, it was one of the first new live-action Star Wars. matter of fact, it was the first new Star Wars movie since the prequels. And it took place just before the first Star Wars movie we ever saw, which was Episode Four: A New Hope. Um, so, and Andor is in my top four, not Andor, excuse me, Rogue One, is in my top four favorite Star Wars movies because it is as good as A New Hope. It is as good as Return of the Jedi, um, all these movies, right? So, of the first three movies, and then you had the three prequels and the three sequels, but when Rogue One came out, it's in my top four favorite Star Wars movies because it feels like a real Star Wars movie. Matter of fact, it feels better than some Star Wars movies because Star Wars very much dealt with fantasy. Star Wars very much... Well, it's, actual war, it's an actual war film. Right, actual. yeah. So Rogue One was really gritty. 
you know, and spoiler alert, everybody dies in the end of Rogue One. It's a literal suicide mission to get those rebel plans to Princess Leia. So it was a great story of the early days of the rebellion. We learned all about the rebellion in episodes four, five, and six, or, uh, yeah, Star Wars. I want to say episode, and I get that confused with movie and streaming, but yeah. So Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back. Um, so yeah, I loved Andor. I keep saying Andor. I loved Rogue One. And so Andor is the story leading up to right. behind the scenes of, of Rogue One. And it's done in that same vein, that quality, where it's really gritty. So Andor is a good example of it's not too much. Or we are getting the quality with the quantity of Star Wars content coming from Disney+. Plus. But I don't know that I was as enamored with the book of Boba Fett. That was very meh for me. It was, that, a, and that's right. And hence the problem. Yeah, it's just I. I kind of feel like that's what's going to happen with the more of these shows they release in a given year. The more of them are just going to be middling. They're not going to be bad enough for you to hate or good enough for you to like. They're just going to be kind of hovering somewhere in right, the middle. Right. And now, of course, I've heard people say. What's there to complain about? Because when we were kids, this is exactly what we wanted. Right. And you know. And if and if I was a kid, I'd probably be happier than a pig and poop. <laughs> right. Right. But you know, we're not. We're kind of. But not as an adult, anymore. yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of hesitant, even with all the complaining I've done. I'm kind of hesitant to say that they shouldn't do it. Right. I'm I'm hesitant to say that because again, you know, it, it's sort of like you're com. It's it's like a to go back to the drug dealer metaphor. It's like a it's like a coke addict complaining that I have too much cocaine. Right. You know. Right. So you don't want to be that way about it. Right. But I am I am concerned with burnout. I am concerned with uh, the quality slowly being diluted. Yeah. Um. So I would say, fortunately, so far with the Marvel live action, I don't think anything has really sucked. For me, let's we're switching gears to Marvel for just a second. Yes. My biggest concern with Marvel is not as much as the quality of the live action we've gotten on Disney Plus, but it's more of the focus. Where's all this going? How are yeah. all these stories and characters going to intersect? And everything's leading to the next movie, right? So, um, what is the next movie? How is the next movie going to integrate all this on the big screen in a big grandiose story as well? So, I am mostly concerned with the direction and the, you know, the target, the goal, where is this going? Like when we're looking at Loki and we're looking at, so we did see where WandaVision kind of went to. WandaVision ended up going to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, right? Um, the season one of What If set up the multiverse for us as well. Um, we're seeing, we're now seeing that Charlie Cox's Daredevil is being brought into not only Spider-Man, which was far from home. We saw Charlie Cox there, Daredevil, Matt Murdock. We saw him in uh, She-Hulk. So we know that we can expect a Daredevil Spider-Man team-up on the big screen. That's been teased. We can kind of expect that. So when they're doing all this live action and all these series, one of the questions is, where is it going? And how is it going to affect the next big movie? I'm pretty sure we're going to see... Daredevil and Spider-Man on the big screen. I'm pretty sure the She-Hulk will be in the MCU. She is in the MCU, but I'm pretty sure she's going to be part of a next big Avengers Phase 4 style big movie. Um, How is it going to play out? Too soon to tell. Miss Marvel, I'm really looking forward to what to do with her. I love that series. To me, that was not um, overkill. That wasn't too much. I, I thought that was one of the better live action series they did. Um, again, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. What did they do with that? We're kind of setting up the Falcon to be the next Captain America. And we're also setting up a, kind of a B team of the other bad Captain America guy and whoever he's going to get for his posse, right? I forgot his name. John something. Who was the douchebag Captain guy that wore the suit for a little while? I don't remember. But, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the guy that ended up being U.S. agent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're setting up a B team with him. So they're, they're planting some seeds. But, yeah, I don't think, for me right now, Marvel has not gotten into Marvel live action on Disney+. Plus. I don't feel we've lost quality. I do question the quantity, although I'm not complaining about the quantity. I'm not concerned with the quality. I'm mostly concerned of the focus and the direction and how are we going to put all this stuff in a pipe and where are we going to aim this hose and you know, what target is it going to hit. Um, 
On the Star Wars side, I do feel like it's meandered. I wasn't in love with Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan gave us six hours of content that could have probably been boiled down into three. It could have been a movie instead of a six. Well, the, yeah. the point of Obi-Wan was, I feel like the point of it was just to show that fight between him and Vader. That's what it really seemed like the entire show was padded out just to facilitate that fight. Right. Um, and I liked the fight. I didn't, again, I don't hate it, but it's just like, yeah, it wasn't necessary. If you would, if I would have known that's what it would have been going in, I I would have probably just watched the final episode with the fight and left everything else. Uh, uh, Book of Boba Fett. You know, Book of Boba Fett had some fun things in it, but again, I'm not sure if it was necessary. I mean, I feel like it's just Boba Fett, I feel like in many ways, has outgrown his usefulness. You know, he was always sort of this... He was just a suit that everybody thought looked cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then, it's so funny I mean, how Boba Fett became larger than life for all the strangest reasons you know and, and i don't know and i don't know if lucas ever really intended for that character yeah. to become and he kind of has been retconned so much now but if you remember the history of boba fett the first place he showed up was with the um for christmas special the christmas special they holiday did a they little uh, star wars holiday special that they've tried very hard to erase from history but he was in a little animated segment there uh, he was also in the Star Wars Droids series, which there is now, speaking of Disney+, Plus, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's very hard to watch. It's yes. very, very, very hard to watch. Um, it was hard to watch back and, then. And, me, and, and to get the first Kenner version of Boba Fett, you had to mail in. You mail had to in. buy a bunch of stuff. You had to mail in stuff. And Kenner blew this guy up as larger than life, saying, oh, my God, he's Boba Fett, and he's a bounty hunter, and he appeared in this special, and he's going to be a really important chapter in the next Star Wars sequel because the second Star Wars movie hadn't even come out yet. So Kenner blew this guy up as being huge. And so now we're thinking as kids, all right, I, I got the Boba Fett. And if you're lucky, you got the one that shot the missile because later on after a few kids choked and died on that <laughs> missile, they had to fix that where it didn't come out. But you got the Boba Fett action figure. Now you have to wait like two years to see Boba Fett in the movie. And it's like, Boba Fett? Where's Boba Fett? He gets knocked. He falls in a hole. He gets eaten by a Sarlacc. That was Boba, Boba Fett was on screen for like a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. And we had two years of hype on how big and important Boba Fett was supposed to be to Star Wars. And it was it was a joke. <laughs> it was a huge disappointment. The first time we saw Boba Fett, he was such a loser. Um, and somehow... They made him bigger when they did the Star Wars Special Edition. They re they re edited him in, so he's in more scenes. Uh, he became the you know the blueprint of the clones that became the first Star Wars. So they they had to make up for all of the stuff that the Boba Fett didn't do. And so now it was really cool to see Boba Fett in season two of The Mandalorian as just bringing the character back and say, "All right, guy, he's still alive. That's great. We got to see him put on his armor. That's great. Uh, we should have just left it there." I, again, right. certain things I don't think we needed a six to eight to ten episode season to tell a story. Maybe a one. Maybe they should have done a one <laughs> shot. Maybe they should have done a one shot like Werewolf by Night. Maybe that would have been more, you know, better contained, more entertaining. Right. So know. I think I, you know, again, I'm not a creative, you know, genius when it comes to all these things, but as a viewer. I would have preferred to seen a couple little out-of-context stories with an interesting character that we didn't have to build up. We didn't have to build the backstory into why this character is in this setting. They could have just done, you know, the whole battle between older Obi-Wan and Anakin as young Darth Vader. That story could have been told without six hours, you know. Right. Um, there could have been ways to do that. So, um, yeah. Uh, again, I, was, I kind of was meandering on Mandalorian just a little bit. Season one, I didn't hate, but I felt it was a little bit too cutesy. Season two got really good. We almost got a season 2.5 because the second half of the Book of Boba Fett had to be rescued by the Mandalorian because it was going yeah. so horribly bad. Um, so I feel, And then now there's so much um, Star Wars animated content now. And I am not... I've never really watched... A, I never watched The Clone Wars. Did you watch The Clone Wars? Certain episodes. I, I didn't watch it. I, I watched pieces of it because my wife watched it. Uh, so the Clone Wars, I know nothing about. The Bad Batch, which they came out with. Um, I saw the first two seasons of Rebels. Yeah, uh, Star Wars Rebels. Good. I that didn't watch good. too much either. My, my concern there with the animation for me 
as not a kid anymore, I to me, Star Wars canon should be on the big screen, right? Star Wars started off as a movie. Anything that happens in the Star Wars world should be live action. The fact that they have animated Star Wars is great. It's great filler content. It's great for kids and adults alike. However, I feel like um, Star Wars um, animation should not be canon. Um, but that's just me. Be only because I don't have the time to watch it all. <laughs> and we're, if they do it live screen with, with actors and people, uh, and now like, you know, uh, Mandalorian, uh, Obi-Wan, Book of Boba Fett, that's all live action. Andor, that's all canon. To me, Star Wars canon should always be live action. That's just my personal preference. That's one person's opinion. Um, because this guy doesn't have time to watch 10 million freaking animated episodes. <laughs> well, and that's another, that's another point. Um, although I've heard Clone Wars, I've heard Clone Wars kind of starts out okay and then gets great over time. I've heard that. Right. And Disney Plus did like a final season of it. They did. Right. They did a final season and now they have a new one called Tales of the Jedi, which is a limited series taking some of the characters from the Clone Wars, especially Ahsoka. What's her name? Ahsoka Tana, Ahsoka Tai, yeah. whatever. Um, chick with the hair things. Um, so they're doing stuff with her. And again... I think he's a twilight. So there's so a lot of the stuff they're doing, too, they kind of keep messing with continuity and stuff. And then there's a whole new school of thought that fans should just forget continuity. Right? Stop worrying about it if, if this is continuity, if this is whatever. It can be crippling. It can um, be crippling. Right. I guess in some ways it can. So there are things that happen in newer productions that are going to contradict things that happen in older productions. Um, I get that. It's hard to be completely true to canon and continuity at some point in time. Um, but yeah, for me, for me, I don't think there's too much live action. I think there's too much animation, and that's just my personal point because I don't have time to watch it all. Well, for me, well, for me it's like what, what you mentioned about having the time. That's another issue. It's just I don't have the time to dedicate to all of this content um and i've never to be honest i've never really been a fan of the binge format where they release every single episode of a season the whole season at once which is what netflix does yeah for me the the novelty of that has burned out i was really into it with the netflix marvel shows but i kind of prefer the way disney plus does it the week by week yeah that actually works better for my schedule too it works better for my schedule but again it gives you what it gives you time to digest to process what you have, what you've seen right. until that point, right? And, and you feel, and you feel like you're actually following a show, as opposed to just watching this kind of unwieldy long movie. Yeah, like yeah, like this kind. Of, and that's another thing. These things are not. They always say, well, it's like a long movie. Nine times out of ten, and not nine times out of ten, it just feels like it's all over the place. <laughs> you know, like it, yeah, because a movie has a beginning, a middle, middle and an end, end, right? So yeah. yeah it's, 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 I, and, and not to say that every binge format show is bad, not saying that at all, but it's just, yeah, it just like it has no form and no shape. It's just sort of six hours of this thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, I have my issues with it. I think it's probably going to be one of those things that we're not going to really be able to see what the effect of all of this was until we're past it, until right. like five years from now, you know, looking back and saying, right. okay... I tell you what, there are things I really... I have no complaints about Andor. I don't have a complaint about the pace. I really love seeing this side of the Empire. Yeah. The Empire as a military force. And even within that structure, how, you know, like the blonde chick is really fighting for seeing things that are not being seen, seeing patterns of the rebellion and and having to kind of keep flying that up the flagpole until she gets somebody to listen to her because there's so much bureaucracy. It's such a man's club, a good old boys club, a boys thing. Um, but, yeah, it's really interesting seeing how they're treating this like a military operation. And honestly, when, you see, when you're like in that little war room with all those the generals and lieutenants and all these guys and you're hearing them talk, you almost feel like these are the good guys. Well, yeah. these, these rebels, what's up with these rebels, man? These rebels are a bunch of scumbags, man. Why are they blowing up? Why are they stealing? What's wrong with these people? You know, so from, the, and, and they always say that, that every villain is the hero of their own story. story. They don't see. And so you're sitting there in the, in this meeting with, with the, with the empire and you're like, man, 
Yeah, what's wrong? The Empire's just trying to do their thing, and all these rebels are doing all these little shady side deals. It's what's kind of going on? Yeah, it's a, that it's, flip that script. It's, it's kind of interesting to see the sort of the uh, war room meetings where you're, you know, seeing these different officers get disciplined or seeing yeah, yeah. being you know it, it, it's sort of it's like a real job right <laughs> and then and then you're not I don't know how far you have but have you seen the imperial prison where Andor is in prison yet no I haven't so that's just a whole nother thing too is these freaking workforce prison camps that the empire has don't say anything else that's it <laughs> so um, yeah so this, to me, this is when live action is done right. When we're getting to see more than we would have seen in a movie because they just didn't have time to show us all that in a two- to yeah. three-hour movie. Um, this medium can be used effectively to where it's not overkill. And I feel Andor is doing a great job with that. Andor is a great story. We we don't... Well, you know where it ends up based on the movie of Rogue One, but you don't know where this series is going to end up. It's really interesting. There's a lot of cloak and dagger going on there. So like you say, it is kind of like a British spy film, um, things like that. So I like it. I like that it's there's no Jedis. There's no Force. We don't see the Emperor. You don't see Darth Vader. It's just basically, it is the Empire, and it's a bunch of people just trying to fight for their freedoms uh, and those struggles and these little pockets of resistance that are trying to take down this Goliath. You know, David versus Goliath is kind of what it's like. Uh, but David is in fragments all over the galaxy, you know. So it is, it's, it's well done storytelling, in my opinion. So this is one time where getting six to eight to ten episodes to tell the story is not too much. This is, this is the Goldilocks just right. Whereas I don't agree with Obi-Wan. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, is there a moral to the story? Is there more we need to say? Or I don't know. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know if there's a moral. I think it's just one of these things where there's probably no right answer. You know, because okay. fans, we ask for things, we dream of things, mm -hmm. and we get them and we're still not happy. That's kind of like a, the ongoing story of fandom throughout the decades. Right. So... You know, I'm, I'm, even though I have issues with the way things are now, part of me is very hesitant to completely throw it out the window or to complain too much about it because I remember how I used to be as a kid w wishing we had this, wishing we had that, wishing there were more movies about Marvel characters, wishing there was a Punisher movie, wishing there was a Punisher show. Right. And we've gotten all those things. Now. Right. Be careful what you wish for, yeah. right? Um, I did even speaking of the Netflix. So what I did like about Netflix before there was a Disney Plus. So Netflix brought us street level grounded heroes, very gritty, a lot of violent, a lot of blood. So the Daredevil was a was a heck a hella hella good action scenes, a lot of violence. Um, um, Punisher kind of was brought in as a character, I think, in season two of Daredevil, and then he ended up getting two seasons on his own that were probably a little bit too much. Um, but I, I felt that John, what's his name, who plays the guy from The Walking Dead, who Shane from The Walking he Dead, he was great as the he was great as a Punisher. So the actor and the portrayal and the character were brilliant. Might have been a little bit too much, but between him, kind of taking over season two of well, Daredevil and then having two seasons on his own, um, might have been too much Punisher. Well, one of the one of the issues I had with that show, and this has nothing to do with the actor. Um, one of the issues I had, I thought they probably developed Frank Castle a bit too much because in the in the Marvel universe, Frank Castle is pretty much just like a psychopath. He's just simply a mass murderer who got set off because his family got killed by hmm. by the mafia. Um, in Central Park, I think it was, and got caught in the middle of a shooting. Uh, so I feel like when you they tried to really flesh Frank out in that series and make okay. him human. But that, that's the problem. In the comics, he was never really... He's not... If, you, if you've ever read, especially the Garth Ennis run that lasted from the early 2000s into probably about 2008, that was like an epic, legendary run, uh, Frank Castle, he wasn't accessibly human in any real way. Okay. And that's what made him different from... That's what made Frank Castle stand out in the Marvel Universe was that he was sort of like Paul Kersey from Death Wish plunked inside of this world where you have mutants and you have all this other stuff. He's kind of looking around like somebody should just kill all these guys. Like, 
that's what made him interesting. And it's probably a little hard to build a show around that character. So I understand why they did what they did. It's probably, you know. Right. You want, you want, if he's the main character, then you should have some sympathy for him yeah. or at least understanding it doesn't why work. he's doing what he's doing to a degree. Yeah. Um, and then at that, at some point, yeah. So then they're, and like you said, they kind of modernize it with, for the new generations where, you know, he's kind of got like PTSD from everything that's happened to him. So what happens when you get over this? What happens if you get justice and all the people who wronged you? How, how far can you keep taking this character then if he was just after those who killed his family and set him up and framed him? Okay. They're all dead now. How can you continue a series of comic books or series on a guy? There's got to be more reasons why he's doing things. You know, the, the idea of the vigilante is great, but you know, Batman's a vigilante to a degree, right? right? Uh, Daredevil's a vigilante, but neither of them are like using assault rifles to, no. to vigilant. Um, if that's right. a word, right? But, <laughs> but again, um, that's what, that's what made the Punisher so, and also, and I know this is like kind of a sidetrack from what the cop topic of the show was, but, what made the Punisher initially interesting, and he was taken largely, inspired largely by this character called, it was a pulp novel character in the 70s, and I can't remember his name right now, but I just remember that he he existed, and it was a guy who fought the mob, fought the mafia, because his family was killed. It was the 70s, and if you look at the similarities between him and the Punisher, there's a okay. series of pulp novel, and okay. the similarities are very striking. Right. Uh, but... What made it, what made the Punisher so unique was that, yeah, in the 70s you had Death Wish, you had Dirty Harry, you had that right. kind of stuff. And then going into the 80s you had Lethal Weapon and that kind of stuff. So it was right. like you had a Marvel character that kind of catered to that sensibility and he stood out because superheroes traditionally don't kill. Well, right, you know, right. None of those sort of things. Right, he had no superpowers. He had the basically the the black shirt with the skull on it. He had like a, a ammo belt uh, around it. You know, yes. all black with a white skull, an ammo belt, and just guns and um, and just killed people. I, I didn't read the comic, but I knew of him because Marvel was really good at making you aware of their catalog. Yes, no matter what number number what no matter what comic you read, you knew about other. Heroes. They had references Somehow. in the story. References they had advertisements. and uh, yeah, all kinds of stuff. So Marvel was really good at kind of letting people be aware of their catalog of, of heroes and villains and anti heroes and whatnot. Um, yeah, I did. I did like Frank Castle on Netflix, but I think we got a little bit too much because again, when when I heard they were leaving Netflix, not knowing that they were going to end up on Disney Plus, which you know, knock on wood, thank God they did. They did. We didn't lose that content. I rewatched everything. On um, on Netflix, I so I rewatched all of the Daredevil. Not too much to complain about that. Rewatched the uh, Punisher, and again, my my opinion is we didn't need those two seasons to tell his story. I think those two seasons too much. Same thing with Luke Cage. I don't know that his uh, there are certain characters I feel they fit well as part of an ensemble. They don't necessarily carry a show or carry a series. You know. Well, I, uh, I really like Nick. Uh, really like Luke Cage when I first saw it. My the show has other issues. My main issue with it was Luke Cage was a character that was inspired very much by black exploitation. He came out during that era, and that was Marvel trying to cater to that demographic. And the show, I think, didn't have enough of that vibe going forward. I mean, because to me, there's a lot you can do with the show with a character who functions more almost like a private investigator in Harlem. Mm -hmm. And the, there's a lot, there's a lot there that you can do, and the show kind of scratched the surface but didn't really go far enough yeah so i don't know if he's going to make his way into the mcu or not that'd be interesting to see um yeah but so far for me with disney plus i and this is the problem now disney owns everything i feel to some degree disney has in a way ruined star wars a little bit because i just wasn't crazy about the sequels they didn't suck but they weren't um i don't know again it's, it's like the prequels. How are you going to make everybody happy? A new generation okay. of people who are seeing those episodes one, two, and three for the first time, if that was their first Star Wars, there's nothing for them to hate. It's entertainment. If you grew up on Luke Skywalker and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and, and how things were in the 70s and the 80s, and then you see the 2000 version of all that, it's not the same storytelling. It's not the same chemistry. It was more about visual effects and less about 
the practicality again just when we talked about the like when they made jaws and they didn't have the shark how they had to work around that and how that built up some of the suspense and some of the vibe and soul of the show the star wars was very heavy on practical effects the only time you had special effects was when you saw the spaceships in outer space but everything else was filmed on a soundstage or somewhere the prequels was all wide-scale cgi and I think, to me, that's what ruined the fourth Indiana Jones movie, too. If you remember the second movie with all the bugs and she's walking through yeah. the dark caves and she's reaching in to touch the bugs and everything, that was all real. Those were real bugs. Yeah. And so that was creepy, right? When you look at the crystal skull, it's a, it's a bunch of CG ants running around. As a viewer, you know there's nothing real about that. And so there's no you can't invest yourself to that. I felt that way about the full prequel trilogy it was all gloss it was all cgi visual effects no soul no story that i could really insert my my heart to well, there was there was that element of it but i also think that there's an issue whenever you try to recreate the magic of something that was perceived as magical right the original trilogy and especially the first two films in that trilogy they there was just nothing like that at the time, I mean, there were things, There's, you had the Flash Gordons, all the things that inspired Star Wars, mm-hmm. but the, the way they were presented in that one package, and for those of us who were lucky enough to have seen at least one of the films in the original trilogy during their original, their initial run, there was something magical about those films captured a certain magic of fandom, of just, absolutely. these are the things we've, if you've been... If you've been playing role-playing games, or if you up until that point, or you watch Planet of the Apes or Star Trek or anything, and you're seeing like this stuff being realized on screen with real money, with a real filmmaker behind it who has a real vision, I don't know if you can recreate that kind of magic. I like the last Ghostbusters movie, this mm-hmm. last one that came out, but it's it doesn't have it just doesn't have the same impact as that original. No, again. Nobody was asking well, for these for things. Well, for us, because yeah. we've seen the original. Maybe for a new generation who saw that for the Maybe. first time. That, that's impossible for us to know, because it's not new to us. But also, remember, this generation is... They're being bombarded with marketing in a way that we... Necess- we didn't see those things coming. We didn't... Like, back in our time, back in our day, we didn't... I, you didn't necessarily see those things coming. When I saw... I'm, I'm trying to think of a movie. I remember seeing the trailers for RoboCop, the original, on TV right, as a right, kid. Right. And I knew I was going to like it, but I wasn't prepared for what it was when I saw it. I was right. like, whoa, this is more there than There wasn't I was. an internet. But yeah. if you were buying the trades, if you're buying some of those magazines, like we, like you and I were Maybe. getting, you know, yeah. the, the famous monster, Starlog, Star Fangoria, a lot of that, that was kind of the super fan trade to know about what movies were coming out a little bit, too. So you might have knew a little bit about it. And seen a little behind the scenes of it, but yeah, nothing can prepare you like we're now. We have full spoilers, you know, weeks before the movie's out. There's there's already people hating on movies that haven't even aired publicly, things like that. So the internet, for better or for worse, <laughs> you know, I, there's movies that I've not like. I'll tell you a perfect example when the video game Cyberpunk came out. I didn't know too much about it, but I knew everybody complained about it forever. Um, and if I was a person who was easily swayed by public opinion, I might ne- never have tried the game. I ended up trying the game, you know, a year later. It was a perfect game. There might have been bugs at launch or whatever. Well, but I think that's yeah, for so. the long term. I think that sh- that game has kind of redeemed itself in certain ways. Yeah. I think it's kind of become whatever it was initially supposed to become. Uh, you know, it's kind of stood the test of time in a way. So, But the hype machine that exists now where they, the, the movie studios and the game studios and the TV studios, they've got to capture the imagination of these different demographics and get people to tune in to whatever that thing is, right? So it's a different time. Like I say, we used to see a commercial on a small screen TV and read a comic book, read a magazine, and we were in. We wanted to see it, and then we had to experience it. There were so many experiences yeah. that you and I had that I feel that experience, it's so hard to continue... It's like heroin, you know? It's like you like you tell the, the, the Coke dealer. Keep trying to chase that high. How do you keep getting a new experience on a movie, telling us a story with people and places that we haven't seen before? It's really hard to do. And that's kind of what they're trying to do by throwing all this content at well, us. Well, it's, and what it's also, it, as you enter middle age, you begin to realize 
that it's not so much now about chasing the high as it is learning to accept some of these things for what they are, accept them on their own merits. You know, you're never going to see another Star Wars movie that affects you in the same way that the first one did or that Empire Strikes Back did. That was... The big cliffhanger at the end, yeah, right? That that was 40-some-odd years ago. Yeah. It's just not going to happen the same way anymore. So now you got to decide whether or not you're in for the long haul or it's time to jump ship or what, or what have you, but the complaining kind of doesn't really help. No, no. So what I will say to get back to the question, is Disney Plus giving us too much? I would say... Not quite yet, but I believe we there, there is a danger there. There, there is a yeah. threshold that we may cross, and hopefully they're towing that line. For me, uh, I'm okay with any amount of quantity, but I have a certain expectation for quality. And they're Disney, and Disney and Marvel and Star Wars. So these are people that understand quality and their legacy and all these things. They understand that. But, um, you know, uh, <laughs> to me... You know, Obi Wan was fan was a fan film. <laughs> it was a fan right. film that actually had decent special effects, but it didn't feel <clears throat> like it had the quality of a of a true Star Wars production. And that's the risk, you know. And again, is that going to affect old fuddy duddies like you and me? Maybe newer fans, maybe not. Um, I try to be really fair and balanced and give things a chance and say, yeah, I liked it, or whatever. I don't want to be too judgmental, too harsh, but. I don't know. To me, the, the Obi-Wan had the same effect as me as the original prequels did. There were moments that were good, but those were scattered in between a lot that wasn't good. You right. know? So it was really diluted. The you know, the quality was extremely diluted. Um, I think Andor is definitely making up for that. And um, I'm looking forward to you and I both finishing that season and talking about that as a whole other episode. Um, maybe to, as we, we want to wrap it up, what would be your wishes? What would you love to see on Disney Plus small screen and how that transitions to the big screen? Do you have any wish list items? I don't know if I have really a wish list because, again, it's kind of hard to put a list like that together because I've kind of seen all of my favorite characters up until this point be represented in some way with both Marvel and Star Wars under the Disney regime. What my hope for right now, I wish they would sort of wait before pulling the trigger on some of these new products they want to put out there. But again, I know that's a fan speaking. This is a corporation. They have a streaming network and they got to keep this. They have to keep eyes on this thing. They have to get as many eyes as possible and keep them. Yeah. So that the game that they're in doesn't really allow for sort of my fan wishes for a quality level to be maintained. That's not, the, they're not in that game right now. They're in the game of, look, to justify the, the amount of money these shows cost to justify having the streaming network out there, we have to put out a, a certain amount of new content every year. So maybe, again, maybe that's not something I can ever, I, I'll never really have exactly what I want. Okay. So. Are you looking forward to the new Willow? The kind of legacy. So I'm looking forward to the new Willow. I'm, I'll watch it. I'm looking forward to the new Willow. So there's a legacy sequel of Willow where Willow is older and he's going to be working with a newer generation on a whole new epic adventure. So I am looking forward to the new Willow. I enjoyed Willow. Willow to me was a dark horse. It was a it, be, it was a cult classic that didn't become a huge blockbuster that it should have. But I feel the legacy of that original movie. And what they can potentially do, if they can, if they can do the Willow new live action streaming series as well as doing Andor, with that level of quality, oh, um, yeah. which I believe the potential to be there is there. So I'm looking forward to the new Willow. I am thoughts and prayers for the new Willow. I want it to not suck. I want it to be amazing, and I'm looking forward to that because that one we already know is coming. Um, I'm looking forward to more Star Wars stories like Andor, where Andor, we know where it fits into the timeline, but it's not dealing with Jedi's, Emperor's, um, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, but it is a good grounded story in the world of Star Wars. I'm looking for more Star Wars that does not rely on anything we've seen or heard before. 
I would love to see more Star Wars stories that are just not Jedi versus Sith. Um, that's what I'd like to see on a big screen or on a small screen. And something you say where you've seen everything and we've seen everything in the world of Marvel, something I don't feel I have seen to the quality that I personally deserve is a really good treatment of the Fantastic Four. So we've had some mediocre treatments of the Fantastic Four. We have been teased at a Reed Richards in the uh, Multiverse of Madness, and we don't know if that's going to be the real Reed Richards in Phase 4 of the MCU or not. But I feel like there is a Fantastic Four story to be told. There is the perfect cast out there that we've yet to see. I don't know how they're going to handle Ben Grimm, because the first run they did with the costumes wasn't terrible. But you knew it was a guy in a costume. CGI presents its own problems on look and believability. But how are they going to give us Ben Grimm? What version of the Fantastic Four are we going to get? Are we going to get the original version um, with Sue Storm and Johnny Storm and Reed Richards and Ben Grimm? I hope so. Are we going to have to have freaking Doctor Doom in there again on that first movie? I hope not. I hope they can have a different challenge and Doctor Doom comes in well, later. Actually, with Doctor Doom, I want to see a better version. I want to see... I want him to see him look yeah. like he looks in the comic books yeah. with the armor, with the green hood and the cape. I want him to look like a, a, a mechanical metal menace. Um, but, uh, so I feel that's something we haven't seen. And I, and I feel that the Fantastic Four story needs to be a big screen thing. It needs to be its own movie. Um, it should not be a streaming series. So I feel that's something we haven't seen yet done to think about when you saw the first Iron Man movie for the first time. Kind of like seeing the first Star Wars for the first time. But it's stuff we had never seen before, right? We didn't know that was going to launch the uh, MCU. I want that level of wow and excitement by seeing a Fantastic Four movie. That's my wish. Okay, I, I could stand to see a, a really good Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. I feel the Avengers that we've seen, they were great. I love them all. And uh, Barry Nelson mentioned uh, in a comment earlier how they maybe shouldn't have pulled the plug on the original Captain America as soon as they did. But what I do understand, too, is that that actor had been playing that role for over 10 years. <laughs> so um, Yeah, that's I, burnout. I, that's burnout, right? So Chris... Um, I can't think of his name right now. I'm just really bad at that. But yeah. Chris Evans. Chris Evans. And, and also, and also yeah. I think, but to be honest, if looking at it from a movie standpoint, not as a, a comic book fan standpoint, I think the, the story with that character had been done. It's told. It's told yeah, and it actually wrapped yeah. up. Yeah. It wrapped up well. So, um, and there's been different versions of successors to Captain America in the comic books where I think Bucky Barnes, when Bucky Barnes was a teenager, a kid, and, and one version of the World War II Captain America um, so not kind of the same contemporary age, but Bucky Barnes was a next Captain America at one point in time. I'm assuming the Falcon was in the comics as well. I think, I think the, the, the Falcon is a great character. I believe the actor is doing a great, uh, is that, uh, doing a great job there. Um, I did like a lot of stuff they touched on in that series where we're talking about, you know, intolerance, be it either racial intolerance or just kind of immigration intolerance and things like that. So it was dealing with, racial prejudicial issues i felt it it didn't it wasn't like in your face but it made us aware that this is real in the world and we're kind of bringing in real day problems into this fantasy world i liked how they did that um i liked the question they asked where where, where you know falcon had to ask himself why do i want to fight for a country that doesn't accept me as an equal because of my color, but because it's the right thing to do for, I believe in this country, even though if everybody in this country is not of that same open mind, the country and the spirit of this country is what I believe in. And so he was willing to look past the short sightedness of, of people for the bigger picture of what's the right thing to do. I love that piece of it. Um, so I'm really looking forward to what they, what they do with the Falcon and future Captain America stories. I think there's stories there to tell that we haven't necessarily seen yet. Is it going to have the same effect as, uh, you know, Return of the Jedi? Probably not, but it's a story I'm looking forward to. There's the new Ant-Man and the Wasp that's coming out, right? The Quantum Mania. That's going to be interesting. But again, is it something we haven't seen before? Are we going to be blown away? I hope we're going to, I think it's going to, there's going to be a lot of laughs. I know there's going to be laughs because mm -hmm. that character is funny. There's going to be great visual effects. There's going to be action. 
Uh, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it, and I know I will be entertained. But kind of like what you're saying, is it going to be an experience, a new experience, a new high we haven't experienced before? That's really hard to do. But that is something I'm looking forward to. That's a movie we know is already coming out. I don't even know what else to wish for. I uh, another wish would be just that we that Marvel gets all of its characters under its own umbrella now, and we don't have all these corporate wars on mm-hmm. you know Sony owns Spider Man, and we can't bring the Hulk in because this person owns the Hulk, and this you know I think, I would, un- I think the Hulk is universal. I <laughs> yeah. Think. So yeah, if I'm sitting there going over my wish list, I want Marvel to have all its shit together and all of its characters. I would like under, to see the, under Hulk. one roof. That's one. That's one thing. Yeah, I, like I believe we're being teased in that in She Hulk. I believe we're being teased in some very of that so yeah um but for me if i had to give my final verdict i don't think disney plus is giving us i don't think it's overkill i think we're on the verge of oversaturation and losing some quality but i don't think we're there yet i mm. wait and see is my opinion wait and see that's what i'm the mode that i'm in right now all right well, we just hit the hour mark. Do we want to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think we pretty much said what we can say. We said what we can say. I know we asked a question. I don't know that we answered the question. I think we both chimed in on our feelings on that. I always try to remain optimistic. Um, but, you know, I do have my gripes and grievances uh, on little piddly things, too. So, good topic. Uh, Barry Nelson, you were our live viewer of the day. So, thanks for being out there. Another live episode. Not only is it a live stream, but in person. So uh, no no fancy background music, any of that kind of stuff. Just raw webcam and microphone. Um, static shoot, but it's working, hopefully. <laughs> All right, so this concludes episode 23 of Culture Goes Pop, the live stream and the podcast. If you want to listen to this later, you should be able to listen to it on Monday or Tuesday. If you subscribe to us wherever you get your audio podcasts on Apple and Amazon and Anchor FM and uh, Spotify and even on Amazon Music you can get us and so wherever you get podcasts make sure you uh, subscribe or follow or whatever they call it and if you could give us a rate or review on the, your favorite podcast app too that'll help us get discovered send your feedback to us via email show at culturegoespop.com any closing words Scott Wilson? Uh, no real closing words just hoping that we as fans can find a nice balance with what we've asked for, but now complain about. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Right. I would prefer higher quality and less quantity. If I had to pick one over the other, I would say raise yeah, the bar. I agree with that. Raise the bar on the storytelling and the intensity of the story versus the number of stories you're throwing at us, the pace. All right. Take care, everybody. We will see you next week. Right.